everyone to the Bible Shots live stream. Are you ready for the second spike? Uh, restrictions are starting to ease, um, but even now we're being warned of the possibility of a second spike. And even if that second spike doesn't happen, uh, coronavirus has shaken us up. Uh, it's highlighted some of the structural weak points in our lives. We've survived being shaken once, but what happens when we're shaken again? Are you ready? Well, welcome to Bible Shots. Whether you're joining us for the live stream or catching up by watching the video later, we're glad to have you joining us. The City Bible Forum runs Bible Shots because we think the Bible has something relevant, important, even essential for us to hear. So we set time aside during the busyness of the week. And they aim to be short, but have an impact and hopefully leave you feeling energised. We read part of the Bible, we hear a talk on that part of the Bible, and we'll have time for Q&A. Not everyone who tunes in as a follower of Jesus, you may have never opened a Bible before. But that's okay. Our speakers work hard to try and make the Bible as accessible as possible. And as long as you are happy to consider what the Bible has to say, we are glad to have you joining us. And today we have Steve McAlpine joining us for the final week of our series, Renovating Life in Troubled Times. Welcome, Steve. Hey, welcome. Uh, good, to, good to be here. And welcome to Perth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, excellent, <laughs> which sounds from your description earlier, uh, sunny and lovely and, uh, and a, not a bad uh, autumn day. It's true. <laughs> uh, we, follow, we follow a pretty simple format. Uh, Steve will be speaking to us uh, from Haggai chapter two, uh, starting at verse 10, and I will uh, screen share the passage as I read it. Uh, and then at the end, we'll have time for Q&A. The easiest way to get involved in that is to use the Q&A uh, function on Zoom or to type your questions into the comment section if you're watching on Facebook Live. Uh, and um, I will uh, filter through the questions and, uh, and ask them to Steve on your behalf. Uh, well, right now we're going to get stuck straight into the passage. So I'm going to pull up the screen share here uh, so that you can follow along. And if you would like to read, we're looking at Haggai chapter two, starting at verse 10 here on the top of the page. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in, from the, in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. 
tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and scatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Lachlan. Uh, good to be with you again for this uh, fourth and final um, Bible Shots talk on the book of Haggai, uh, where God has uh, called his people to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem after their return from exile. They failed to do it for a long time, and he's getting the building project back up and running. But I want to look at two things in this final chapter today, two things that raise one question, I think, two things that when taken together form a picture of how God works with humans personally, with us individually, and humanity globally, the big picture. So the small picture and the big picture. And not simply how he works with humans and humanity, but how he allows humans to approach him, even though the Bible says that God is pure and holy and we are not. So two things today in the uh, shake up, God shaking us up personally and God shaking things up globally. And on the personal level, the, the thing I wanna look at today is that this uh, passage shows us that only God can make clean what is unclean. Only God can make clean what is unclean. In this passage, it's very clearly that people, humans, the Israelites are unclean. Now, can you imagine a world? Can you possibly imagine a world in which you had to constantly wash your hands, in which you had to avoid contact with people who were unwell? You, you had to make sure that all your food stuff was washed and that you had to distance yourself from people in order not to catch something contagious. Wherever you, where you went, social gatherings, restaurants, meetings, workshops, there was the risk of getting infected. Well, you're laughing, I guess, but up until a few months ago, I don't think we would have thought that we would be living like that every day. But now that's life, isn't it? That's how it is all of the time. Now, personally, COVID-19 has got touched a little bit of my anxieties and it's got me very edgy about becoming unclean. And I go to the shops these days and quite honestly, I look around at everyone and everyone looks like a mini cruise ship. They're sailing around the aisles of coals with portals of infection everywhere. And I just try to avoid everyone. And that feeling is gonna stay with us for a while, for a very long time, I think. It's going to become our reflex action that we avoid things that might um, be, make us unclean or uh, sick. Well, if you think it's hard for us to live like that for a few months, then spare a thought for Israel, God's nation in the Old Testament, for their whole way of life from their inception, hundreds of years before this prophecy in Haggai, uh, when God saved them from slavery in Egypt way back then, their whole life was built on rituals of clean and unclean and ways of avoiding contagion and ways of dealing with would leave us exhausted. The foundations of God into the nation of Mount Sinai, the place of the Ten Commandments was given, is based around lifestyles, habits, items, animals, skin conditions, bodily fluids that were either clean or unclean, pure or impure. Life in Israel was built around avoiding certain things. And if those things were unavoidable then, and you were rendered unclean by them, you would be avoided. You would be the thing that was unclean and until you had gone through a ritual cleansing for a stated amount of time. 
you could be quarantined and it could happen at any time, any stage of time, even if you just weren't coming back from Bali, back to Israel for the week, you could find yourself holed up in the equivalent of a hotel outside the nation, outside the camp of Israel for 14 days while you went through a ritual cleansing regime. And then the temple priests performed a ritual that allowed you back into the community of God's people and you would make a sacrifice. Clean and unclean was central to Israel's life, not just religious life, but all of life, every day, every month, every year. Now, the key for this is that it was not ultimately about your physical purity, though that had a factor in it. It was a lesson about spiritual. How could unclean live before a holy, pure, clean God. How could God, as he promised, live in the midst of his people without making them toast because they were unholy and he was holy? Well, basically, there were all sorts of purity rituals sacrifices that mediated that, that allowed humans' proximity not too close. Only when these rituals and sacrifices were observed could God pronounce blessing on the people and his approval of them, which is why it's almost like a duh set of questions when you get to the passage in Haggai, where God is posing two scenarios in the reading, where he says uh, to Haggai is to go to the priest and said, look, priest, uh, if there's consecrated food, or that's holy food set apart for temple use, if it touches other food, does that other food become holy or does he... Is that what happens? And the priests go, no, haven't you read the law? Holiness doesn't transfer that way. And then the flip side, what if someone's been uh, touched, a defiled, or is defiled by touching a dead body and they touch someone else or touch something else like this holy food, does that person or thing become defiled? And the answer is yes. Defiled, impure, unclean does transfer like that. In other words, clean doesn't transfer to unclean, but unclean transfers to clean and makes it unclean. Now, we get that these last few months, don't we? COVID-19 will transfer from someone infected, but uninfected won't transfer the other way. What's the point here? Well, in this passage, it's saying, doesn't this put the temple rebuilding project at risk? There they are unclean people rebuilding the house of the holy, pure God. How is that going to work? Won't that just be an impure thing? That's a conundrum. And here's God's solution to it. I am going to bless you, says God, at the end of that chapter in verse 19 of that verse. Is, From this day on, I will bless you. Now, what God's saying there is not just simply that I'm going to uh, bless you, make things good for you. He's saying, I'm going to deal with your impurity. I'm going to deal with the thing that makes you unclean. Verse 15. Now give careful thought to this day from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the Lord's temple. God's saying to the people, I want you to give careful thought to your ways. That's a, a refrain in uh, this short book. Give careful thought to your ways. God's saying to the people, think back to the time when you were disobedient. Here's what was happening. I saw you as unclean. My covenant curses 
from the book of Deuteronomy, where God had promised that if you obey me and you're pure before me, um, I will bless you. But if you're not, if you're impure and disobedient, I will bring these things upon you. I'll bring less wine, less wheat, blighted crops, empty storehouses. I'll put all your efforts uh, to vain. In other words, God's saying, in the past, when you were unclean, I brought the language of death upon you. I brought despair upon you in an agrarian economy to drive you back to me. And then God gives the people in this book the will to actually change from doing what they want and not rebuilding the temple to rebuilding his temple. And we looked at that two weeks ago. And God says, from this point on, even though you are unclean, I am going to bless you. Impure hands are going to do the work of building the temple, but I'm going to see it as purity. I'm going to give you blessing. You think, well, that's not really fair. How, how does that work? Well, in actual fact, it's the way that God has always worked with humans. We like to think if we do the right thing by God, he'll do the right thing by us. But the Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible talks about God giving us a right status or standing with him, not on the basis of uh, our goodness or our cleanness, but on the basis of that we trust his promise to do so. We trust his promise to do so. That's the gospel message of the Bible. And it starts back in Genesis. God promises to bless the forefather of Israel, Abraham, and make him into a great nation through having children, even though Abraham and his wife are old and childless. And what does it say? It says in Genesis, Abraham believed God. And then God what? It says God credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, God said, there's nothing in the bank that you have that makes you right or pure or blessed by me, but the fact that you've trusted my word. I will give you a right standing before me, not on the basis of your action, but on the basis of you simply putting your trust in my promises. Abraham couldn't do anything by himself. He and his wife were past the age of having kids. They were like these people in Haggai. They were impure. How could they do anything that God would bless? But Abraham trusted that God could do for him what he could not do for himself. And it says that God credited it to him, gave him a status of clean or blessed or righteous that he had not earned. And that is exactly what's going on for Haggai. God hasn't changed. He will bless these people, even though they've been cursed, even though they've been impure make the thing impure people touch that's how you works personally we can't ourselves pure we're like the unconsecrated meat we're like the body god turns that around we can't go to a good thing and touch it or a good activity and touch it and expect that somehow it'll be god does that that's how god works he gives us a status of clean that we don't earn for us personally. Now, global God work. Well, it's, it's pretty much the same. God is going to do the work in the world that needs done. And Lachlan spoke earlier about take up the world. And it says, take up the world in this passage, not to destroy the world, but to save the world. It looks like destruction going on in this passage, but God, I'm going to do something that's a shake-up globally 
that's going to save. Now, for a while, we had a second round of COVID-19 or a third round or a fourth round. There's a great cartoon where there's a time traveler from the future coming back and saying, what year is it? One says, it is 2020. And the time traveler says, oh, year one of the pandemic. And it's like, ah, oh. <laughs> could we cope? Could we cope? It feels like the earth's been shaken. Could we cope if the whole earth was shaken again? It's crazy times. That's how Israel must have felt. Haggai is sent to the governor Zerubbabel, who's trying to be the Scott Morrison of his day in the midst of all the tough times. And he's saying, the whole world has been shaken. There have been major wars. There have been empires. You've been taken into exile. The Assyrians came along, then the Babylonians and the Persians. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone is shook. And what is God's message? Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, verse 21, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. You go, what, again? Didn't we just go through that? We thought COVID-19 was bad. We thought that the world order being upset was bad and we're going to do it again? But notice, it's not something that's happening that's random. God isn't saying, oh, it's just going to happen. He's saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament, whenever it says that God's going to shake things up, the heavens and the earth, and overthrow thrones, it's code language. It's God's way of saying this. I'm going to come in and save the world, rule with justice, put evil to flight, and it's going to be a shake-up of the order of how things work. But why is Haggai charged with telling Zerubbabel this? He's just a governor in a backwater country in a vast empire. Or is he? See, the key is verse 23. Look at verse 23 with me. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's what's going on. God comes to Zerubbabel, who is the descendant of Jerusalem's kingly line. Now, God had said that he was going to rule the world through Israel's king, and he started with King David, and Zerubbabel is a descendant of King David. Now, that line of kingship was destroyed, it seemed, by Babylon as God judged the king and the nation for their impurity and uncleanness and their refusal to count God as holy. They were cursed. And Zerubbabel has come back in the wake of all that, not as king, because Persia's king is in charge, but as governor, and he's descended from King David. And God here is reversing a situation that he had pronounced in the past when he sent the people into exile. In one awful pronouncement on Zerubbabel's grandfather, King Jehoiakim, prior to the exile, God had said through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm going to tear you off my hand. You are no longer my signet ring. You are no longer my sign of ownership. You no longer have my seal of approval. I'm not doing my salvation work through you. It's over. It's like someone giving their engagement ring back to their fiance and saying, we're done, baby. 
God's relationship with Israel, God's plan to rescue the world through his chosen Messiah King has been put on ice. And what's God doing in verse 23 of Haggai chapter 2? He's saying, you know what? I'm giving you the ring back. I'm restoring the plan. You may be a humble governor. You may not be king, but I've chosen you as my signet ring. My ownership is on you again. And my plans to shape the world and put things right are going to come to fruition through you and your descendants. It's game on again. See, it starts in verse 23 with these words, on that day, on that day. God is saying a day is coming when I'm going to shake the world order with my chosen king. Powerful people will be brought down. Weak people will be lifted up. Humility will be seen as a virtue. Pride will be seen as a vice. Servant-heartedness will be seen as the future. And dominating people will be put down. I'm going to put the world right. And I'm going to do it not through impure, holy people, but through a pure and holy king. For the signet ring, as we look back on history, is King Jesus. He is the one towards whom this is pointing. That's the point of this promise. God stamps his ownership on Israel's king once again, and he will upset the whole world order through King Jesus. And God says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to clean the unclean. I'm going to shake up the world to save it through my pure king, King Jesus. And he is the one whose kingdom will overthrow all the other kings. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Think about Jesus. Whenever Jesus came around, whenever someone was unclean who went up to him, like an actual unclean leper, what happened? When that leper touched Jesus, did Jesus become unclean or become clean? What about a ceremonially unclean person like the woman who had an issue of blood, a flow of blood for 12 years that stopped her being allowed to go to the temple to worship? When that woman Jesus, did Jesus, as should normally have, become clean? No, the woman became clean and was healed. Whenever Jesus, the pure king, so when Jesus, the pure king, touches someone, they become Jesus doesn't become impure. They become pure. God shakes the whole world establishment through the cross of Jesus, which the Bible tells us looks like foolishness, but is the wisdom of God. The cross is the place where the one who was pure, who had no sin, we are told, is made sin for us. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to Zerubbabel. And that's a shake-up globally because Jesus comes and shows that the world order is different to how the world powers want it. But it's also a shake-up personally because if you think that you can clean yourself up enough for God, everything you touch will become unclean. But if you go to Jesus and you say, help me, I, I need to put my trust in the one who can make me pure, he will do that. 
if you want to be right with God, if you want to approach God, then your own good, clean works cannot be scrubbed up enough. No matter what sort of spiritual temples you build, no matter how much you obey, it's impure. We have to trust that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's hugely offensive if you think you're pure enough for God. It's hugely liberating if you realize that you're not. And if this shakes you to the core, if this appalls you, <laughs> it will change you to the core as well. It will appeal to you if you need to be changed. Let me finish with this constant refrain from the book of Haggai as I wrap up the four weeks. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. It's a good book to go back and read again and consider your ways. Thanks very much. Thank you, Steve. And you know, thank you for uh, taking us through the book of Haggai over the last uh, four weeks. Uh, we do have a few questions coming through, but just a, a quick break to give you a chance to write your questions in and to give Steve a chance to grab some water. Uh, if you would like to get on our mailing list and you're not yet on it, uh, please do jump on the City Bible Forum website and go to the Bible Shots uh, webpage. Uh, and you can, uh, my, my details are there. You can uh, click on uh, the link to my name, to Lachlan Orr, uh, and you can send me a message and just say, hey, I'd like to be on the mailing list. It's really handy in case there are any last minute changes that we need to let you know about uh, or any other uh, problems or things that we uh, need to, uh, to redirect you to. Um, also, just uh, to keep giving Steve just a chance to keep grabbing his water. Uh, next week, we are starting a new series on Jesus versus suffering. Uh, most of the series will be with Rob Martin from City Bible Forum's Melbourne team. He's also the host of the Bigger Questions podcast, uh, which you may have heard. And if you haven't, uh, I encourage you to have a listen. Um, but next week is a bit of an intro week. Uh, it fits into the series, but it's a little bit separate. I'll be taking us through the testimony of someone who listened to Jesus as he taught about suffering. Uh, Peter was an ordinary man, uh, but he was known for his uh, bold confidence but whenever the future looked uncertain, you see that his outward confidence kind of melted like candle wax. But something changed Peter uh, to a person of deep confidence, even when he was facing a bleak future. Uh, next week, we're going to consider the words of Peter on the source of his confidence and why we too uh, can have hope and even joy when the future is bleak and uncertain. So confidence in the face of uncertainty next week at Bible Shots. Uh, now, Steve, we do uh, have a little bit of time for questions, and there are a few that have been coming in. Um, uh, one that has come in, can you, you mentioned that there are actually a number of times where the Bible talks about God shaking up the heavens uh, and that being code for his saving, merciful yeah. work. Uh, do you have any other examples that you can... Uh... Oh, look, I'm going to have to look for them. Um, you're going to find it in uh, Psalms as well, so that God is going to... Um, Psalm 99, for example, the Lord reigns that the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. And so what you get is this idea that God shakes things and wherever God is, um, things get shaken up. But the first place that things are shaken up is Mount Sinai, where there's a, uh, the mountains trembling. God's doing a work. So the idea of the heavens shaking is more to do with God actually doing something in the world. Uh, often we think of it's, uh, nothing's happening uh, because there's earthquakes or terror or anything like that. But that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. And of course, you've got the book of Revelation where you see um, at the right in the, the story about the, um, 
you know, things, the, the cities of the earth collapsing and, and, and falling apart because of a great earthquake. And what happens in that is not so much that an actual earthquake is happening, though that may happen. It's talking about God is bringing things down uh, according to his judgment and he raises things up according to his judgment. So earthquakes, things like that aren't an evidence of God's absence, but an evidence of him actually doing something. And that's, that's, that's a crucial thing to remember. So you've got uh, Isaiah, it runs throughout Isaiah as well. Wherever God's doing something uh, big and salvation wise, you'll see the shakings. You'll see too, when the crossing of the Red Sea, you see those ideas of uh, the Psalms that speak about that. There's a churn and a turmoil that God's doing something. Thanks, Steve. Uh, maybe to push that uh, question a little bit further as well. Um, uh, God told ancient Israel he was shaking up the world. Uh, can, can we know, or maybe how can we know, uh, that's what God is doing today uh, in the midst of a coronavirus? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. You must see everything that God's doing in the Old Testament through the light of the cross. And uh, the great irony, of course, is that there was a great earthquake. <laughs> you know, uh, when Jesus rose, the, the ground shook, the, everyone fell down, the rock... Um, the tombs were split open when Jesus died. And it says, you know, there was, things were broken and there was earthquake and shaking and trembling. Um, I think that those things happening there are the, the focal point of what God's doing in the world, that the, uh, the cross is a, a focal point of God shaking and doing something in the world. You also see it in the early chapters of Acts when they're praying, the disciples are praying and the room shakes and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Those ideas of shakings are places where God does specific things that advance his salvation plan. So the whole event of the cross and the resurrection is a mini shakeup of the world. We see the sun going dark. We see all the things that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament where God's at work, you know, smoke and fire and darkness and shaking happens at the cross and resurrection. How that means today, God's always speaking to us in everything that happens, primarily spoken to us in a son, the shakings up on that we have today are opportunities to stop, take stock of what's going on in the world and ask questions. What is God doing? Um, we, we know he's in control. Um, is it advancing his salvation plan if he shakes up the world today? Well, if someone looks at the world and goes, like Russell Brand, for example, is doing lots of videos about prayer at the moment in light of people are praying in the midst of COVID-19. Um, is God allowed to shake, draw attention to himself and saving work? I think he is. Is he doing it specifically the way he did in the Old Testament? No, I think that was fulfilled in Jesus. And then everything that he's doing subsequently points us back to Jesus. Well, that would be how I would take it. Ooh, thanks, Steve. Uh, we're just over time, but maybe one last question. Um, you said the, the finished on the, finished on the uh, comment, consider your ways. Uh, what does it look like for us to consider our ways? So some of us are followers of Jesus, some of us aren't. What does it look like to consider your ways? Well, I think in this passage, uh, especially, and in, um, the consider your ways is take stock. Have a look at yourself. What's going on? It's very, I think COVID-19 has given us a chance to consider our ways because it's pressed a reset button, a bit like it did in Haggai. Um, think about it. Would you go back to the old normal or do you think that things should change? Take stock of what you've done, how you've responded, the fears you've felt, and ask yourself, 
should I go forward and just mask them over again with white goods and holidays? Or should I consider my ways? I think that's the Bible is always telling us to consider our ways because we are people who don't necessarily self-reflect very much. And the Bible pushes us back to do that. We've got a chance to do that now as we get ramped up back to busy. Perhaps before we ramp up too busy, we might pause and consider our ways. And I think the Bible gives us an opportunity to do that and calls us to do that. Thanks, Steve. And uh, thank you again for taking us through Haggai over these last few weeks. Uh, we'll look forward to hopefully having you again at Bible Shop sometime in the future. Uh, and uh, to all our attendees, thank you for joining us online. We will be back this time next week. Uh, like I said, we'll be starting a new series on Jesus versus suffering. Next week, I'll be taking us through uh, Peter and his testimony uh, about following Jesus and can we have confidence in the face of suffering? And then Rob Martin will be taking us uh, for the following five weeks up until the end of the term. We'll look forward to seeing you same time next week. Uh, and until then, uh, have a good week. Thank you.